Peaceful Parenting, Part 6, Sexual Success. When you are born, you are in the presence of two people who have successfully reproduced. They are your templates for sexual success. Given that human beings generally evolved in small tribes with fixed beliefs, to succeed in dating and mating, you had to do what your father did, because the females that surrounded you would all be just like your mother. If your father beat you, that signaled to you that the women in your tribe were eager to mate with men who beat their children. If your mother screamed at you, that meant that the men of the tribe were happy to have children with women who screamed at their children. Forget your happiness for a moment. Even forget morality, since we are talking about prehistory. Remember, your genes don't particularly care about your happiness. All they care about is their own reproduction. If happiness serves reproduction, sure, be happy. If unhappiness serves reproduction, go be unhappy. Just breed. To put it another way, men and women who pursued happiness at the expense of genetic reproduction reproduced far less than those who pursued genetic reproduction even at the expense of happiness. You are designed to breed, not to be happy. Of course, to the degree that happiness helps your breeding success, it is encouraged. Think of the orgasm. But any happiness that interferes with your breeding success will be ruthlessly whittled out of the gene pool over time. What we call love serves the genes, not morality or our own personal happiness. Human pair bonding exists because it raises the chances of our offspring growing to an age where they can successfully reproduce. Imagine you are a boy in a primitive tribe. Your father beats you, your mother screams at you, but let's say that you find this highly objectionable and grow up telling every potential mate that you intend to raise your children peacefully. Unfortunately, everyone else in the tribe is a big fan of aggressive parenting. So, who will mate with you? The reason women will shy away from mating with you, aside from the obvious imprinted habits from their own parents, is because if tribal members prefer aggressive parenting, but you raise your children peacefully, then your kids will face greater obstacles to reproductive success than if you raise them aggressively. You would, in fact, be teaching your children an entirely different language, a language which no one else in the tribe speaks. If you went to live in Japan and never learned Japanese, and never met anyone who spoke anything other than Japanese, what would your reproductive odds be? You don't need to be Asian to understand that they would be very, very low. Virtually impossible, really. If you do 
the opposite of what your parents did, you will very likely end up with the opposite outcomes. Since your parents reproduced, you will not reproduce. And the genes that influence this behavior will end with you. Parental compliance. The same pressure applies to the question of whether or not to comply with your parents. Throughout most of our evolution, resources were scarce, predators were everywhere, and competition was fierce. At least half of children died before the age of five, which meant that parents sometimes had to choose to withhold scarce resources from sickly children. If you have five children and one of them is weak and sickly, but you don't have enough food for all of them, well, we all know what happens to the weak and sickly child. Again, we're not talking about morality at this point, just simple evolutionary pressures. If you have a child who defies you at every turn, fighting you constantly and opposing everything you say, you will be unable to implant your cultural and reproductive customs and habits in that child. If it is the custom in your tribe for the males to spend two weeks doing mating dances in front of potential mates, but you have a son who opposes everything you try to teach him, then he will be an evolutionary dead end. And there's no point spending a lot of time and effort keeping him alive. Of course, countless children were born throughout human history with rebellious streaks who fought and opposed their parents even as toddlers. And what happened to them? Well, their parents were just a little bit slower to rescue them from predators, a little bit more hesitant to give them any extra food, a little less careful in protecting them from dangers because the parents just didn't particularly like that child because their instincts were telling them to stop wasting resources. In this way, blind rebellion against parents was selected out of the gene pool over tens of thousands of years, or really hundreds of millions of years. As a child, you had to submit to your parents because if you didn't, the odds of you making it to adulthood went down considerably. Reversing aggression. Ah, but a definite switch is required. If the parents are aggressive, as they all were throughout human history, then it is essential for their children to submit to their will. Rebellion, in other words, is the most dangerous predator. However, upon reaching sexual maturity, puberty, it is equally essential that the children rebel and become aggressive themselves, particularly the males. Remember, the women were raised by aggressive males, which tells them that aggressive males are sexually successful. If a male child remains submissive and compliant to his own parents after the age of sexual maturity, then the females will not find him attractive 
because he is the opposite of the father who raised her, who is her template for sexual success. This is the well-established pattern of children becoming aggressive, particularly males, during and after puberty. To put it another way, boys who did not become aggressive and rebellious during and after puberty were not selected as mates by the females, which means that this passivity would quickly vanish from the gene pool. Negotiation versus violence. It is important to understand what a recent miracle it is that negotiation rather than violence is able to gain resources and success in human society. Trade requires property rights, and property rights are a very new phenomenon in our species. Property rights require relative peace, a high-trust society, an honorable judicial system, empathy, literacy, education, reasonably inexpensive contract enforcement, and a whole host of other factors not exactly common throughout most of our evolution. Property rights allow for specialization, which then requires trade for survival. A blacksmith does not grow his own food. A farmer does not forge his own tools. The blacksmith trades his output for the farmer's food, and both become wealthier thereby. Unfortunately, as we all know, trading societies always end up being preyed upon by warrior societies. The wealth of trade societies draws in the violence of the warrior societies, since it is far easier to steal than to create. In a trade society, excessive violence in the raising of children produces volatile and unstable adults who cannot defer gratification and have no real capacity to negotiate. Of course, parents do have to have some flexibility in their parenting styles. If a warrior society has settled into a more trade-based society, then children need to be raised less violently. If trade is a better method of acquiring resources, and violent criminals are jailed or killed, then children need to be raised with better negotiating skills and a lower capacity for violence. For instance, for hundreds of years, England killed off about 1% of its population, the most violent male criminals, generally. Wars also tend to kill off the most aggressive members of society. Dead criminals, or jailed criminals, face significant barriers to reproduction, which is one reason why England revolved into a polite society that enforced its moral standards through icy ostracism rather than bloody violence. Some parents are more reasonable, some are more violent. In a more peaceful society, the children of reasonable parents do better. In a more violent society, the bullies rule. So, a boy raised by violent parents must assume that his entire society is violent and that fertile women prefer violent men and that he must first submit to his parents and then rebel against them. The submission ensures that he reaches sexual maturity. The rebellion means that he will attract a woman who prefers 
an aggressive male. Abuse, at least what we now call abuse, was survival. Moral philosophers can quibble with this all they want, but they are only alive to quibble because this was a basic fact common throughout our entire history. In every parent is both a coward and a bully. In every human soul, for that matter. The coward complied with the parents as a child. The bully rebels against the parents as a teenager. The child survives by nodding with the parents. The teenager reproduces by shaking his fists at them. In other words, throughout our history, it was abusive to your genes to not abuse your children. The submissive child is the parent of the aggressive teenager. It is rational to submit when you are little, and equally rational to be violent when you get big. In our modern society, the most resources are generally acquired by people who pretend to be rational, but actually profit from violence. Heads of corporations sit down with politicians to work out how to use the power of the state to profit both parties. Politicians make millions trading stocks, most likely with insider information about upcoming laws, rulings, and regulations. What looks like a peaceful negotiation is actually a violent predation. As the old saying goes, only amateur thieves rob banks. Professionals own banks, and the gods of criminality own central banks. Poor people vote for free government money. This all looks like a civilized and peaceful negotiation, with politicians making speeches and people shuffling into booths and checking boxes on a piece of paper. It looks like a negotiation, but it is actually predation. Taxes are collected, money is printed and borrowed, and other people are forced to pay or go to jail. Negotiation in public, violence in hidden practice. Negotiation as a cover for violence. Words as camouflage for fists. You see how this relates to modern parenting? The duality of modern parenting. Modern parents pretend to negotiate in public and usually use violence in private. They are simply mirroring the society in which they live, which in turn feeds off their parenting in order to swell its own political power. It is the ultimate and most literal vicious circle. Modern citizens generally recoil from open violence, so the violence must be cloaked in rituals and language. Everyone raised by an abusive parent knows the magic power of the random phone call. The parent can be screaming bloody murder at the child, but if the phone rings and the parent is expecting a call, sweet and gentle tones instantly replace blue-veined yelling. In this moment, what has happened in the mind of the parent 
is that the abusive adult has been replaced by the sweet and compliant child. This moral reversal that I have spoken of repeatedly has its deep roots in early childhood. When you are aggressed against as a child, you dislike it. No one likes being bullied and hit and screamed at and insulted. You dislike it, but you have no choice but to comply. Because if you don't comply, your odds of survival are significantly reduced. So you swallow and bottle up this anger and then release it as a teenager in order to model the aggression that is clearly the most attractive trait in your tribe. When you are a child, you cannot conceivably allow yourself to experience just how horrible it is to be abused. Because if you have a genuine sympathy for yourself as a child, you will fail to achieve the aggression necessary for reproductive success as a teenager. You must deny your sorrow and anger at being abused as a child. This dehumanizes you as a child, even to yourself, but this is necessary so that you can in turn dehumanize others, which is required for you to be aggressive and threaten violence against them. Throughout all of human history, excessive empathy prevented the development of the capacity for violence necessary for reproductive success. The moral reversal is the inevitable result of the psychological split from I hate being hurt to I enjoy hurting others. You can't empathize with others more than you empathize with yourself. If empathizing with others interferes with reproductive success, then it must be abandoned. If the only way to abandon empathizing with others is to stop empathizing with yourself, well, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. Evolutionarily speaking, parents raised by violence are actually protecting their children by abusing them. The real abuse, genetically speaking, would be to cripple their chances of reproductive success by raising them in a highly unattractive, peaceful, and reasonable manner. Parental hypocrisy. You might be wondering how I can combine a sensitive and accurate analysis of how abuse came to be with a fair amount of hostility towards abusive parents. Well, uh, really, it is the hypocrisy that bothers me the most, to be honest. When I studied the Aboriginal tribes of Australia and New Zealand in preparation for a speaking tour, it was evident that abuse against children was openly practiced without hypocrisy. Children were beaten, raped, and killed right out in the open, without lies, without hysterical claims that all the tribal elders wanted to do was protect and nurture the wonderful children. Hypocrisy is when we pretend to be virtuous while actually doing evil. A parent who 
accidentally hurts a child through play fighting, say, immediately apologizes and vows to take fewer risks next time. However, if a child gets injured by a parent and then complains to the parent about the pain and the parent smiles and does it again but harder, then that child is doomed because the parent is a sadist. If you convincingly pretend to be good, that's because you know what goodness is and how to achieve it. Someone who already knows what virtue is, at least enough to convincingly emulate it, but then happily does evil whenever possible, well, such a person can never be reformed. Somebody who wants to be good but does not know how to be good, well, they have a chance to be good if instructed on the true nature of virtue. A lack of knowledge can be fixed by providing knowledge. Hypocrisy is irredeemable because the hypocrite does not lack knowledge. A con man knows exactly what trust is and trustworthiness as well, which is why he pretends to be trustworthy in order to rip people off. Telling a con man that it is better to be trustworthy is a complete waste of time. He already knows that trust is of great value and how to appear trustworthy. It's like going to a counterfeiter to loftily instruct him that paper currency has value. He already knows that, which is why he counterfeits. No, what bothers me about abusive parents is their pretense of virtue. This informs me that they already know what virtue is and how to be good. They use virtue as a camouflage, which means it will be forever inaccessible to them as a practice. Aggressive Parenting, the Steel Man Case Parents don't set out to harm and or abuse their children. They claim, and may in fact believe, that they have the best of intentions. If you ask parents why they hit their children, they will say that the purpose of spanking is to teach children boundaries and respect. Since children are too young to reason or understand the consequences of their actions, you must apply immediate negative stimuli to them to ensure their safety. If a child gets into the kitchen drawer and starts playing with a sharp knife, that child can conceivably cut himself so badly that he bleeds to death. A few light smacks on the behind is a small price to pay to keep the child alive. A few needle vaccines is far better than your child becoming maimed or killed by some terrible disease. It is essential for the parent to have the respect and obedience of the child so that if the child is doing something dangerous, when the parent cries out, Stop! The child does in fact stop immediately, without question. The child needs to be at least a little bit afraid of the parent so that parental commands to keep the child safe are obeyed without hesitation. Parents know almost infinitely better and can see consequences invisible to the child. Children are incapable of reason. That is one of the key definitions of childhood. 
And it makes no more sense to reason with your offspring when they are very young than to give a cat a calm lecture about peeing on the sofa. Particularly with multiple children and a busy parenting schedule, endlessly debating and arguing with every single child about everything that needs to be done quickly creates an exhausting logjam of paralysis. Sometimes children just need to get out of bed, eat their food, take care of their siblings, go to the doctor, submit to the dentist, do their damn homework, and not argue about every single little thing. Children can absorb new knowledge when they know that knowledge is missing. Children's brains are so immature that they don't even know the knowledge they lack. When they grow up, life will teach them consequences, and those consequences will most likely be very painful. If they fail to apply sunscreen, they will get a terrible sunburn, which could endanger their health in the future. If they fail to show up to work, they will get fired. If they fail to study for a test or pay their taxes or obey the law, terrible consequences can and will occur. As adults, if they fail to take care of their health, go to the dentist, eat sensibly, and exercise, they will be punished infinitely worse than a forgettable spanking at the age of five. Nature, bosses, <laughs> the government, health, these do not negotiate with people. They say, jump, and all you can do is ask, how high? Adult life is not a theme park or a vacation or a place where everyone asks nicely or shields you from the consequences of your own bad choices. Adult life is a harsh world of unforgiving blowback. If all you do is endlessly discuss everything with your children, how on earth are they supposed to navigate a world full of aggressive people and dire consequences? If all you do is debate with your kids what happens when they get pulled over by a cop or have to pay their taxes or some bully shoves them in a bar, they will be helpless, bleating, useless lambs, falling to their knees and begging for negotiation in a world full of brutal absolutes. You are literally sending them as lambs to the slaughter. As adults, your sensitive, precious, reasoned-with children will go out into the world and meekly try to compete and reason with those raised with absolute strictness and dire consequences. If you had to bet your life savings on a running race, would you choose the runner whose coach had meekly reasoned and negotiated with him? Or the coach who dragged the runner out of bed at five in the morning and forced him to run sprints until lunchtime. <laughs> like it or not, sunshine, you are going to have to go out and compete in a world full of people raised very strictly, even brutally, if you like, and they're going to have an iron will and a discipline that the talky-talky children simply will not possess. The simple truth of society is that most people cannot be reasoned with. They use guile, manipulation, force, and threats to get what they want. Are you preparing your children to compete in a Darwinian world by raising them with, with the pretense of 
angelic virtue? Again, lambs to slaughter. If your child wants to eat junk food all day and you try to reason with him, but he pushes aside his vegetables and reaches for another ding-dong, what are you going to do? <laughs> well, I guess if you're one of these talk-and-talk talk parents, you meekly remind him that vegetables are better for him, the junk food is bad for him, and cross your fingers behind your back that one day he just might make the right decision. Total crap. It's almost unbelievable to encounter this perspective. For one simple reason, if children were capable of making the right decisions, they wouldn't be children. These reasonable parents know for a fact that their children are not adults, but rather under the care, control, and custody of the parents. They know for a fact that a child's brain is no more developed than his or her body. But still, they want to treat those children as if they were adults. In a military context, they would be the equivalent of generals forcing children to become soldiers. No. Being a soldier is the job of an adult, not a child. Making good decisions is the job of an adult, not a child. We don't give children driver's licenses, heavy weights to lift, bills to pay, jobs or contracts to sign. Why not? Well, because they are children. We don't give mentally defective adults full rights, responsibilities and freedoms because they are mentally defective and thus need to be contained and managed and controlled. If we encounter a 30-year-old with the mentality of an 8-year-old, we know that something really bad has happened to his development, and he cannot be a truly free and independent adult. In other words, we don't let him make his own decisions. <laughs> you think yelling and spanking is harsh? A parent uses corporal or verbal punishment as a far more gentle form of inflicting consequences than nature or others will inflict. Exercise can be unpleasant, but it is infinitely preferable to muscle atrophy and bone degeneration. We make children exercise in order to build a good foundation of health and a strong body. We make them eat well for the same reason. We take them to the dentist, to the doctor, to the nutritionist if need be, and to a coach if they want to achieve any kind of excellence in sports. All these experts will inflict pain and discomfort on the children out of the truly benevolent goal of bringing them health, wealth, and excellence in the future. Children... <laughs> don't know what is good for them in the long run, and often even in the short run. But parents do. Should parents allow children to eat junk food and avoid exercise and then deliver those children to adulthood severely obese, diabetic, and short of breath? 
Should parents indulge their children's desire to avoid the dentist and deliver them to adulthood with half-missing, half-rotten teeth? Should parents indulge their children's desire to stay in and play video games and deliver them to adulthood with flaccid muscles and weakened bones? Is it better to inflict a small amount of suffering when the children are usually too young to even remember it, or... Is it better for the children to face lifelong sickness and disability because the parents were too frightened or too weirdly ideological to discipline their children at all? Would children rather read challenging books or play brain-dead video games? Books train language, skills, empathy, self-knowledge, and the deferral of gratification. Video games train stress, reflexes, and a crushingly short attention span. When children grow up with no literary skills and having gained useless immaterial trinkets in some long-gone video game, will they turn around and thank their parents for failing to discipline them and point them in the right direction? When fat children grow up to be sickly, unattractive adults, will they thank their indulgent parents? Parenting, by its very definition, is instructing children on what children cannot know themselves, either through brain immaturity, a lack of experience, or an inability to foresee consequences. The idea that you can instruct children without inflicting any negative consequences is truly insane and deeply immoral. <laughs> Maybe it's fine if you have just one child, a girl probably, who is naturally compliant and agreeable. <laughs> but try that with a house full of crazed boys, I dare you! Maybe you let your children run into the street. Maybe you let them ride a bike without a helmet. Maybe you let them play with knives and electrical sockets and grab at pots of boiling water on the stove. And maybe all that works out for you. But statistically, you are basically playing Russian roulette with your children's lives. Such laxness is not about what is best for children. It's about what the parents prefer. It's not fun to physically discipline your children any more than it's fun to diet and exercise. But we do it because it's the right thing to do. The so-called peaceful parents are simply pursuing their own peace of mind at the expense of their children's security, safety, and maturity. They don't like disciplining their children because they want to be best birds with their offspring. They can't stand the idea of their children looking at them critically or, or, or negatively or with any fear or hostility. The fact of the matter is that their children will look at them that way. Later on, as adults, when they realize that they have been crippled by all that spineless agreeableness and absence of consequences and have no capacity to deal with the real world, a world that refuses to endlessly negotiate with them to ensure that they never feel any discomfort whatsoever. Give your kids candy instead of vegetables. Yeah, they like you in the moment, but hate you later when they realize the damage that your appeasement has done to their health and future. Boys who avoid suffering 
Never ask girls out on dates. Girls who avoid suffering get fat and lazy and never get asked out on dates. Everyone who succeeds knows that rigid discipline is essential for achievement. It's far better to teach discipline to children when they're young through the judicious application of negative consequences, lectures, coldness, raised voices, or spanking, because anyone who succeeds is going to need discipline at some point. And it's far better to learn it early when the stakes are lower and the negative consequences far less severe. If you've ever tried learning a foreign language as an adult, you know that it is infinitely harder than learning a native language as a toddler. Would you never bother teaching your children how to read and let them try and figure it out when they're adults? It's a terrible idea. Because children have a window of language learning opportunity which, if missed, leaves them crippled for life. Would you let your children go to bed whenever they wanted, sleep as long as they wanted, nap during the day as they saw fit? Again, a terrible idea. Because children with sleep disturbances grow up to be adults with sleep disturbances. And they're going to have to get up to go to a job at some point in their lazy lives? No. Your kids are going to have to learn language, good sleep, hygiene, nutrition, exercise, and discipline at some point. It is infinitely easier to learn all this when they're little so that it becomes innate rather than struggling to learn it later on against all of the lazy habits of their first 18 years. The key question that pro-discipline parents answer that the so-called peaceful parents constantly avoid is this. Will my children thank me when they reach adulthood? If assertive parenting, what is sometimes called aggressive parenting, produces strong bodies, disciplined minds, and healthy habits, then without a doubt, children raised this way will thank their parents when they reach adulthood. If a child is afraid of the dentist and therefore his peaceful parents keep him away from the dentist, the child feels enormous relief in the moment, but will be very angry at his parents later on in life, when he has to deal with endless tooth pain and gum disease. What kind of citizens will these spoiled children, yes, I'm going to say it, spoiled, turn into when they reach adulthood? Will they respect the laws of society? How could they? No rules were ever inflicted on them. Will they think deeply and reasonably about the consequences of their actions? Of course not. Their parents never inflicted any consequences and shielded them from any and all bad effects. Will they be hard workers? Of course not. They've never been exposed to any difficult discipline. Will they be strong and healthy? I'll let you figure that out, given that their parents let them eat whatever they wanted and avoid exercise if they didn't feel like it. A central definition of maturity is damn well doing things that you don't want to do.
You don't need any discipline to eat cheesecake or sit on the couch or watch your favorite show or light another cigarette if you're a smoker. Drinkers don't need any discipline to have another drink. It's easy and pleasant for gamblers to roll the dice one more time. No. The purpose of parenting is to teach children the value of doing what they don't want to do. Children don't understand the benefits of deferring gratification. They don't understand the value of doing what they don't want to do because they live in the moment for the hedonism and pleasure of the next five seconds. Try taking Halloween candy from a six-year-old telling her that it's better for you to hold on to it so that she doesn't eat too much. Will she gravely nod and thank you for your thoughtful consideration? Of course not. She will cry and scream and hang on to her candy like grim death. There's nothing wrong with this. She's a child, after all. Exactly the point. She is a child. Peaceful parents avoid disciplining their children because the parents find it unpleasant to do so. In other words, they are modeling hedonism and somehow expecting discipline to magically appear. One of the great values of spanking, for instance, is that the parent doesn't want to spank the child, but is willing to do so for the sake of benefiting the child in the long run. Spanking a child shows discipline and the deferral of gratification and a willingness to undergo the negative experience of your child disliking you for a short period of time, which models exactly the behavior you want to produce in your children to your children. The child being spanked will at some point understand that the spanking goes against the immediate happiness of the parent and is for the long-term benefit of the child. In this way, the child internalizes the habit of going against his own immediate happiness for the sake of his long-term well-being. The peaceful parent refuses to undergo anything unpleasant, either for herself or for the child thus teaching the child that it's always great to avoid negative experiences. Inevitably, the child ends up self-indulgent, pleasure-based, discipline-avoidant, weak and, yes, narcissistic as an adult. I say narcissistic because the child is only interested in his or her own pleasure and utterly unused to sacrificing immediate pleasures for the happiness of other people, even his or her own future self. Parents who sacrifice their own immediate happiness through spanking for the long-term benefit of the child are teaching children the value of thinking of the happiness of others, even at your own expense in the moment. When the child reaches adulthood, he looks back in gratitude at the harsh lessons inflicted by the parents. He thoroughly understands in a deep and visceral manner how important it is to sacrifice immediate happiness for the sake of long-term well-being, his own as well as others'.